If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you are visiting us, it is found on page 1071 in the Bible in the chairs. And if you do not own a Bible or a good Bible, please take that as a gift from us. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. In 2002, Los Angeles, California, there was a clothing brand that was created. They focused on denim jeans. The clothing brand was named True Religion. True Religion. And their jeans could stand out before any other jeans because on the back of the jeans that they made was stitched this big slanted horseshoe on both pockets. True religion. It was very popular. It swept the nation by storm. Some of the people who I befriend, they would call them trues. And his company's goal was to stand out to be different. They wanted their brand to pop to where when you see it, you knew that these were true religion genes. They wanted to be distinct and different from any other brand. And they did it. Interesting enough, they had the name True Religion, and yet there's no religious affiliation with those genes. So Christians didn't have to just run to the store to get those, to show that they're followers of Jesus. The thing is, wearing those jeans doesn't necessarily mean one is religious, just like wearing a cross around your neck doesn't make you a Christian. True religion jeans. i got to give it to them. One of the things they did, they were spot on with, is that they stood out. They stood out with jeans, and one of the things that they're absolutely right in is that true religion stands out. It is distinct, separate and different from all the rest. The reality is Christianity is the only true religion. That the God of the Bible is the only true God. 
As we've read in our scriptural call to worship, who is like you, O Lord? And the answer is absolutely no one. The Christian God, the God of the Bible is the one true God. And our message is distinct as it is one of grace. As those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are to be distinct, standing out. This standing out is to be evident not just in our confession of faith in Jesus, but also in our conduct as we live like Christ. Beloved, if you were to study church history, The church has always been distinct, standing out, different, and the content of our message, and the conduct of the saints, and in the charity towards the least of these. James is exhorting us in this passage to be a people who stand out as we follow Jesus Christ. So our big idea for this morning's passage is this. Devotion to Christ is shown by your talk and your walk. Devotion to Christ is shown by your talk and your walk. I have three points for us. There are three words of exhortation. First is control your tongue. Second, care for the needy. Third, continue in holiness. Control your tongue, care for the needy, and continue in holiness. Now, it's been a week, few weeks as we've been in James. It's important for us to remember James's audience and his aim. His audience is the covenant family. He's writing to churches that comprise of predominantly ethnic Jewish Christians. They were God's covenant people because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And his aim is to combat nominal Christianity. A Christianity that confesses faith in Jesus, but is not accompanied by good works. He's combating that, making known that a sincere faith in Christ is evident by the good fruit that is produced. And in this morning's passage, James gets very practical, focusing on the tongue, our care, and walking in holiness. The first point, we exhorted to control our tongues. Look at verse 26. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. First, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious. Now, for some, this may be a hiccup. Like, Christians thinking themselves they're religious? Like, what's going on? Is Christianity a religion or is it focused on a relationship? Many of y'all have seen that video that came out years ago. But the thing is, let's talk about it. Christianity, it is a religion. It is distinct from all other world religions. 
Because when you think about all world religions, they have one thing in common, salvation by merit. You do, you do, you do, and then that God will accept you. This is completely antithetical to the Christian faith. For our message is not one of do, do, do. Our message is the fact that we are sinners against a holy and righteous God. And there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to climb our way back to him and to get back right with him. Our message is that instead, God in his love came down. The Son of God became man, lived on this earth that he created, perfectly obeyed, and died as a substitute on the cross for the sins of all who would trust in him. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, and all who trust in him are saved by God's grace, accepted, forgiven, not because of what we have done or what we can do, but because of what Christ has done. So how does a Christian relate to God's commands? Well, we obey them. Because the God who has saved us is the same God who has given commands, and we obey him not to earn salvation, but because it has been granted to us. We obey because we love him in response to his love for us. So if you're visiting this morning and you are not a Christian, Friends, I'm glad that you're here. I want you to know that the Christian message is not do good and then God will do good to you. The message that we would tell you is to trust in Jesus Christ and God will save you. Christ loves you. Christ offers salvation, forgiveness, and life. And it is received by turning and trusting in him alone. You want you can talk with any of our members after service. Love to have these conversations. James says that if anyone thinks he is religious, well, the word religious here is an adjective, and what it is getting at is works of piety. As one commentator would say, it is outward practices of godliness that is rooted in a relationship with God. Because here's the thing, beloved, faith in Jesus Christ transforms our lives. When we place our faith in Christ, we are not who we used to be. We went from death to life, from darkness to light, and that is to be evident in how we live. Also, in how we speak. James says, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue... His religion is useless, and he deceives himself. So James gets practical. He says, for someone who has confessed faith in Jesus Christ, if they have been rubbed the wrong way, whether it's in a conversation with somebody, or they've been cut off while they are driving, and their response is that their mouths are as foul today as it has always been before they trusted in Jesus Christ, something is off. James says that where one is ongoingly using words that are as colorful and as explosive as the fireworks on the 4th of July, 
your religious practices are futile. Regardless of how many theology books you've read, how many conferences you've attended, or how many Bible studies you've done, something is off. The inability to control one's tongue, it is a problem. The habitual cutting off and slicing down one's spouse, children, roommates, boss, co-worker, it is a real problem. Whether you're doing this online or in person, it is a real problem. But it's not merely a word problem. It's a heart problem because our hearts are the command center of our words. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. The one who professes faith in Jesus Christ, and there's this persistent, habitual, ongoing pattern of volatile words. That is bad fruit. May be guilty of a counterfeit Christianity, a nominal Christianity, where one's Christ doesn't command one to bear a cross where holiness is optional, where grace doesn't enable sanctification, but instead it excuses sin. That is not biblical Christianity. The very grace that saves us is the same grace that changes us. As we read, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what does it do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. All who have trusted in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're to walk by the Spirit, and it's to be evident, for we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which comprise of love and self-control. As Christ has saved us, we know that our tongues are instruments created by God, intended to be used for the good of others, where we speak his word. We seek to help and build up others. We also know that sin has corrupted us, and yet Christ has redeemed us. So our speech is to seek to make much of Christ who has saved us. James is talking about the controlling of one's tongue. This control displays self-control. It is restraining oneself from speaking harmful, volatile, and destructive words towards others. Solely because we love Jesus. And we love our neighbor. Now, Christians, we live in this body of flesh, so that does not mean that we're going to do this perfectly. 
None of us will ever control our tongues perfectly on this side of glory. James ain't saying that. In fact, in James chapter 3, verse 2, James includes himself saying that we all stumble in many ways. But for us who are in Christ, we don't habitually commit this sin. And also, when we are guilty of this sin, there's real remorse, godly grief, repentance, turning away from it, and seeking the forgiveness of those who we've sinned against. And beloved, controlling one's tongue is not easy. In fact, the times where we need to control our tongues, it is when the heat has been turned up. Or we are criticized by somebody, or we are offended, or someone says something nasty towards us. Those are the times where we need to exercise self-control, and as difficult as it is, and we are tempted to go off, we also have a Savior who is able to help us. Difficult, yes. Impossible, no. Because we are no longer enslaved to the dominion of sin. Christ has liberated us. And so in the moments of difficulty, what are we to do? We are to pray, asking God to give us the words, asking God, Lord, help me to speak what is helpful. Give me grace to not do what I really want to do right now. Reality is, beloved, God's gracious work of salvation, it is to transform the speech of the saints. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. We should not expect unbelievers to control their tongues, but as the saints of God who have been saved by grace, our speech is to be different. Reining it in. Beloved, here's the reality. As, as we are more focused upon loving and honoring Christ, as our gaze and drive is to love others, our words will be far more, less like a hurricane and far more like a refreshing well. James is exhorting us to control our tongues. Even as we sung in Holy Spirit, living breath of God, praying for the Spirit to give us words that we may honor and magnify Jesus Christ in what we say. So James, he exhorts us to control our tongues As we do so, we'd be distinct and different. Think about how distinct we'd be from the world if our words, if with our words we focus on magnifying Christ. May it be true of us, beloved. So we're to control our tongues, we're also to care for the needy. Brings us to our second point, care for the needy. Look at verse 27. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James begins verse 27 with two words, pure and undefiled. These words, they have the same meaning. One is said positively and the other negatively. And James here is focusing on deeds. As one commentator would say, the focus is ethical purity. Now when James gives this list, James by no means was being reductionistic about the Christian faith. He's not being simplistic about following Christ. And he doesn't give an exhaustive list either. Notice that the Great Commission is not on here. But what Calvin says is very helpful here. He says, James does not define generally what religion is but reminds us that religion without these things he mentions is nothing. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to look after orphans and widows. Pure and undefiled religion is to care for the marginalized. And James did not drift to a social gospel. He's an apostle. The Spirit carried him as he wrote these very words. James knows that faith in Jesus Christ has social ramifications. That as we follow Jesus, who is compassionate towards the least of these, we are to reflect that very same care. If you study the life of Jesus, His compassion led to his action. It was compassion, the very reason why Christ went from heaven and came down to earth. It was compassion, the reason why Jesus faithfully preached. He healed spiritually and physically. Jesus' compassion led him to heal those who were afflicted and feed the hungry. Christ cares for the least of these. And as his covenant people, we are exhorted to do likewise. Being God's covenant people means that we are to reflect the character of our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And God is compassionate. It is one of the very first things he revealed about himself in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. God cares for the needy and the marginalized. Let's go Bible here. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of the widow. Psalm chapter 82, verses 3 and 4, provide justice for the needy and the fatherless, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and needy, save them from the power of the wicked. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do what is good, pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Our Father cares. And as his covenant people, we are too. 
James says, pure and undefiled religion is looking after orphans. These are children without fathers and mothers who have lost their parents or have been neglected by their parents. He also mentions widows, wives who have lost their husbands. This list, again, is not an exhaustive list because we are to care for the poor. As Pastor John preached last week, as Galatians 2, Paul was exhorted to remember the poor, and he said, the very thing that I was eager to do. We were to care for them because they have no defender, no protector, and no provider. They are susceptible towards injustice and oppression. Think about Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow. She had no husband to protect her. And so she's pleading for the judge to do what is just. And as God's covenant people, the church, we're to care for the orphans and widows, to see them in their plight, both economically, socially, and intend to help them. Beloved, this is one of the ways that we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's where we look upon them with compassion. And that compassion leads to action, to service. So we are laboring to alleviate them from their affliction. Beloved, this is loving and this is godly because this is what God has done for us in Christ. When we were in our spiritual distress, what did our God do? He sent his son who came down and became a man, who lived perfectly, who died for our sins. When God gave us Jesus, God gave us everything. And when Jesus gave up himself, he didn't give just a little bit. He didn't give just a little money. Or a little bit of time. He gave up his own life. To save us from judgment. As we sung, that's what God's mercy has done for us. And being beneficiaries of this mercy in Christ. It is to lead us to show mercy to others. This is fruit of saving faith. As we heard in the scripture reading, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This compassion leading to action is some good works. Love the early church. One of the primary evidences of the truth of the gospel was the way they showed mercy to those in need. The very ones that the world despised were the same ones the church served and helped and loved 
They cared for orphans and the poor. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, says this, Called with a nobler calling, let us exhibit as the result of our regenerate nature a loftier compassion for the suffering sons of men. Spurgeon will go on to say is that when you meet a Christian, you met someone who's committed to doing good. Beloved, it was God's mercy that led churches and Christians to be philanthropic. Christians starting hospitals and soup kitchens and starting orphanages to care for those who are needy. One of my favorite people is like George Mueller, how he started an orphanage and cared for hundreds of orphans. While being committed to preaching the gospel. In our very own country, beloved, it was injustices and oppression towards African Americans is what led black churches to start schools and programs of care to educate and feed and provide and protect the people in their own community. Motivated by mercy. And these good works didn't by any means deter churches from preaching the gospel. We have our commission from our Savior to make disciples, to faithfully preach the message that sinners need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. The church has always known full well that these good deeds by no means saved anybody. That sinners need to repent and trust in Christ and be saved. The church was committed to doing good because we follow a compassionate Savior. The church has always known that these good works, they are not the gospel by any means but they do adorn the gospel. Throughout church history, churches were committed to both. Preaching Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning, holding out the gospel, while being committed to doing good works, showing mercy and kindness. James is telling us pure and undefiled religion is seen in caring for the needy because Christ cares. It is following our Savior. So we're to be a people who care. As we think about our very own city, beloved, there are over 1,200 orphans in Shelby County alone. What would it look like for us to care for the orphans in our city? You know, one of my favorite shows is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Love that show. You know how Uncle Phil and Aunt Vivian, 
They took in their teenage nephew, Will Smith, who's from Philly, from the hood, who got in a little bit of trouble and had to move away. They took him in, and they raised him as one of their own children, caring deeply for him. You know, one of my favorite episodes is when Phil, Will's father, Lou, came. Wanted to be in Will's life. And Will was just so excited. And at the very end of the episode, Lou did again what he's always done. Leave Will. It's a very powerful scene. But you know who was there? Who heard Will cry? Uncle Phil. You know who hugged Will? Uncle Phil. When Will said, why doesn't he love me? He felt the love from his Uncle Phil. Beloved, what would it look like for some of us to try to be Uncle Phil's and Aunt Vivian's towards orphans in our city? To prayerfully consider adopting, bringing them into our home, raising them in the fear and instruction of the Lord, modeling, or more so reflecting the type of love that the Father has for his children in Christ. But not just that, beloved, we can also get involved in foster care to where we're temporarily taking people in, caring for them, loving them. Will it be difficult? Absolutely. By no means belittling the hardship that comes with it. But it's also godly. We have a way to where we can demonstrate love for the needy in these tangible ways. Very recently, Isaiah 117 House has come into the city of Memphis. This is a Christian nonprofit, and they are dedicated towards serving orphans. They provide a home for orphans who are waiting to be placed. What would it look like for us to prayerfully consider how to come alongside and serve, partnering with them, being generous with time, seeking to meet needs, being generous financially if they need, if they need it? a tangible way to care for the orphans in our city. Truth be told, I am extremely grateful to the Lord for the government, the government work in how they care for orphans, but as the church, we should not leave it to them. These are good works that we can walk into, beloved. The love of Christ, the mercy that we've received can propel us to doing good things. Paul, not Paul, but James also says caring for the widows. The church cared for widows. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Talking about how the church caring for widows who are truly widows. As a people, we can serve them, sit with them, listen to them, be a listening ear, provide for them. 
meeting tangible needs, for this is part of the church's responsibility. So we can do that with widows in our congregation, and we do that collectively. Some of our members are caring for their own widowed parents and grandparents. Paul would say that this is a way of practicing godliness. And so for this, these are good things that we as a people are to commend. What would it look like for us to know who are some members who are caring for their widowed parents and to come alongside them and serve them in tangible ways, praying for them, asking them, like, what would help you in this difficulty? And also encourage and commend them, for it is sacrificial. As Chevy preached on, this is a way to honor your father and your mother. Now, if we're going to do this, if we're going to do well in caring for the needy, we are to not get over the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because through the gospel, we're reminded that God has been so merciful towards us in Christ. And as we've received that mercy, we're to seek and show it in tangible ways towards others in need. But not only that, beloved, if we're going to do well in doing good works, we are to be a people who are committed to sound doctrine. Yeah committed to sound doctrine. And I say that because sound doctrine is the fertile soil by which these good works are produced. The more we study the doctrines of God, the more we get in and learn about God, the more we are to look more and more like Him. The more we study the doctrines of Christ, Christology, get after it. There's an application focus towards it, though. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we are intended to look more like him, to where we are more loving, more compassionate, more just, caring for the least of these. And the thing is, if that is not happening towards us, the problem ain't the doctrine. But if we want to care for the needy, may we pray that we have a merciful disposition. In the book, Dangerous Jesus, KB gave a really great exhortation. He says, pray daily for God to keep you merciful towards others as he has been merciful towards you. What a great prayer. What a great prayer to pray through the directory as you pray for members. God, Lord, please keep this member merciful in light of your mercy towards them. So the church, we're to be a people who control our tongues. We're to care for the needy. We're also to continue in holiness. James, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's important to know that the world here in this verse is referring to a demonic world system under Satan's rule. This is the effect of the fall. 
Satan is known as the ruler of this age and this world system. It opposes God and his ways. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James says, Friendship with the world is hostility towards God because the world is hostile towards him. James tells us to keep oneself. We're to keep ourselves because we didn't make ourselves unstained by, from the world. God is the one who called us out of the world. God called us out of the world and into his eternal kingdom. In Christ Jesus, we have a holy position. And as God is holy, his covenant people are to be holy. And we're to be holy in practice. Resisting the influence of the world. Their ungodly ideology. Their sinful practices and values and customs. Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Beloved, we've been called out of the world. We are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And so what does that look like today? Well, we operate according to a different ethic from those who don't know Christ. The world encourages polarization, but in the church, we encourage unity in Christ Jesus. The world want to use people. Well, in the church, we're to be committed to loving people. When it comes to holiness, the world will only criticize it. But in the church, we are to cherish it. When it comes to boasting, the world will only make much of themselves. But in the church, we're to make much of Christ Jesus and him alone, for he has saved us by his grace. We have been called out of the world, and so our aim should not be to try to fit in. Our aim should be that we want to look more and more like our Savior, Christ. In him, we are God's adopted children. In 1 John 3, John makes known, he says, Behold the great love that God has showed us, that he has called us children, and so we are. He says that we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. He gives an exhortation. He says, everyone who thus hopes in him, which should be all of us who are in Christ, what are we to do? Purify ourselves as Jesus Christ is pure. We have a holy calling. We have a holy position. And so we are to pursue holiness in practice and our conduct. What's important for us to know is that who we spend time with, that will be the very people we reflect so as we, if we're spending time with Christ and his people, it is to be evident in our conduct. If we're spending time with the world, it should be to no surprise that we're looking more and more worldly. Love, the reality is we are more worldly than we think. 
That's why we need God's covenant community. That's why we need to dwell in the word. Even I myself am more worldly than I think. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my wife, trying to convince her to let me get some more shoes. And my wife lovingly, very lovingly, pointed out to me, like, man, you may be struggling with greed. It's like, ouch. She was right. Convicted. Had to pray. Asked the Lord to forgive me. It's like, man, I needed that. Beloved, we all need that. We need the body to speak in, to encourage us, to turn away from vestiges of worldliness and to look to Christ and seek to be more and more like him. We need this type of help, beloved. If we're going to stand out from the world, we're going to be about true religion, then we have to faithfully follow our Savior so closely to where it's evident to others that we follow Jesus in our message and in our manner and in the care that we have for the least of these. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we do praise you for your mercy, for it is amazing. You would choose to be merciful towards sinners like us who are completely undeserving. Father, we pray that you would conform us more to the image of Christ Jesus, that we would care well for the needy, that we would control our tongues, that we would prize and cherish Jesus Christ, that we would not be complacent in following him, but we would have this holy zeal to look more and more like Christ, our Savior, and hope. Lord, do this work in us for the glory of your name. In Christ's name, amen.